Welcome to Watershed's July podcast. My name is Mark Cosgrove and I'm the cinema curator here at Watershed. My name's Tara Judah and I'm cinema producer here at Watershed. And this month is the fourth edition of our wonderful festival, Cinema Rediscovered, which I'm particularly passionate and excited about because it brings new restorations, older films, archive rarities to the big screen. And it takes place um, between 25th and 28th of this month. But before that, Tara, before we get on to, before we dive into Cinema Rediscovered, there are, of course, many wonderful films and events coming up this month. There are, and I'm actually super excited that we've kind of managed to continue this um, cult theme across uh, June and July, and it's coming up into Cinema Rediscovered. So there's a really nice trajectory there yeah. if people have been following the brunches that we did last month. Which was which was inside the mind of Peter Strickland. Well, more specifically, his cinematic influences, which will come on to, well, which was the Scala, let's say it up front, which was the Scala, which will come on to at Cinema Rediscovered. And then this month... This month, we've got a focus around Jan Gonzalez's new film, Knife Plus Heart, which is a really peculiar, schlocky, great, trashy, fun film. Throwback to kind of like 1960s, 1970s cinema, particularly exploitation, pornography. I mean, it's also also Goddard. There's kind of a lot in there. But basically, the film is about this woman, Anne, who's been left by her lover, Lois, and she's a movie producer. She makes really terrible, cheap pornography. Um, lots of her porn stars seem to be going missing and ending up dead. So it's a, a crime mystery, trash exploitation thriller, um, very much in, in the ilk of kind of 70s exploitation flicks. And so we're looking at the influences of Yang Gonzalez around that. Um, and, you know, they range everything, like I said, from, from Eisenstein and Goddard all the way to kind of Brian De Palma and whatever you can really imagine in between. I, I'm going to stop you there because I'm going to mention the Scala yet again. Yeah. I mean, you know, because what you've just described uh, is the programming of the Scala cinema, the legendary Scala cinema uh, from London, which ran from 79 uh, through till 92 and had a huge impact on, you know, um, audiences that went there who've become filmmakers. But that was the programming. What you could see in that cinema was high art, Eisenstein, Bunuel, um, you know, those kinds of fastbinder, those kinds of, you know, seen as high art European directors. And then you would get um, Thundercrack, which brought together the kind of seedy world of porn with uh, experimental New York filmmakers. So you, and plus you had zombie all-nighters, etc. So you had this amazing mix, which sounds exactly <laughs> what you've just described from Knife Plus Heart. It is. It's a continuation completely. And so we thought, OK, this is great. Gives us another opportunity to look at um, some of those influences and in those sorts of films. So we're going to be showing Brian De Palma's Carrie, which was a huge influence on Jan Gonzalez. Uh, we're having a double bill, which is also something that Scala and those sorts of rep houses are very famous for. Um, and our double bill brings Giallo together with slasher horror. So we're going to have The Bird with the Crystal Plumage by Dario Argento matched with Driller Killer. That, that may well be the first time that those two films actually have been put together. I'm sure they were screened in, the, in cinemas and in, in double bills. Not sure they were put together as a, as a double think, bill. I think you're right and everyone can blame me for that pairing. <laughs> it, it, it'll be quite a Sunday afternoon for uh, audiences. It will be and I'll be there if anybody wants to chat about it. <laughs> um, and then the, the, the following one is, uh, is 
the god R is we're going yeah. to do Limipri. And that's um, also because both Knife Plus Heart and Limipri are also about the process of filmmaking within, yeah. within filmmaking. So very much that kind of meta-narrative about yeah. what it's like to put a production together and what can go wrong, yeah. particularly with plot and intrigue. Uh, and Limipri, I, I just love thinking about Jack Palance and there is the film crazed film producer, American film producer that comes in on this, this production in, in France. And then also Fritz Lang is in it, of course, as well. You know, that's the great thing about Godard is that he, he, he might be seen as the most sort of high art filmmaker these days, but his, his, he was formed by watching B-movies. He was formed by watching the films of Jack Palance, of Fritz Lang. And again, you see that mix that Jan Gonzalez is obviously um, influenced by the mix of the high, and, the high and the low, the sacred and the profane. Absolutely, and also to, so that people have a bit more of a concept of Jan Gonzalez, who he is, where he comes from. Um, we've also partnered with Encounters Film Festival mm. uh, and MUBI, and you can actually check out a little bit more of his work. So alongside Knife Plus Heart, we'll be showing a short film ahead of the feature in the cinema, which is called By the Kiss. And it sh he's, he's an Encounters alumni, so his short yeah. films over the years, many of them have screened at the Encounters Short Film Festival, yeah. um, which takes place in September so you can have a look at that short but also Mubi will be screening one of his other shorts The Island mm. uh, online so you've also got the option to, yeah. to check that out and if you don't have a Mubi subscription it's handy that if you come along and see the brunches you actually get a free trial for a month so you can yeah. sign up check out The Island and, and, and get more of a sense of who Jan Gonzalez is. Yeah because our, our, our very good friends at Mubi are supporting um, we're presenting the, the brunches in partnership. We did it in, in June, we're doing it in July, um, and then we're going to be doing it in August as well. And it's a great partnership because Mubi, the online you know film platform, is, is brilliantly curated, um, and they go deeper into the, the, the films, and so they offer fantastic selection, but also ways of, of, you know, there's writing about it and talking about the, the films, given kind of context. So we're presenting the films here and, and there's a kind of relationship there with, with Mubi. Um, as you say, people get the fantastic uh, opportunity of a free subscription for a month. Yeah, a chance to go a little bit deeper. So in terms of other new films that are opening, there's one that both of us have not seen, but we're both seriously excited about seeing it, which is Midsommar, which is from the director of Hereditary. And it feels, from what I can see about it, is that it's got a bit of gothic horror it's got a folk tale, kind of Wicker Man sort of feel to it. So I'm really, really excited about seeing that. That opens early this month. And then also it's great to see, and I have seen it, Jim Jarmusch, the brilliant indie American director. His new film, he's tackling the zombie genre. He's having great fun. All the cast, which includes, you know, your Bill Murray's, Tilda Swinton, Tom Waits, of course, Iggy Pop, new, new recruits, Adam Driver. And he's, he's gone full, full bloodied into the zombie genre, but you've always got to remember that this is a Jim Jarmusch film. And so it's got that pace that Jim Jarmusch is, is really known for, where, uh, and it's got a kind of laconic irony to it, but it's also just great fun, and it's got a great soundtrack. And Tilda Swinton really enjoys taking out zombies with her samurai sword, 
Fantastic. Um, with, with kind of almost too much relish, I think. <laughs> <laughs> there, there is a real sort of relish to it. You might, you know, think Jarmusch might be saying something about America at this moment in time. Uh, the dead don't die. You know, film about zombies. There may well be a political statement in, in, in there going on in there. But it's just, if you, lo- if you like Jim Jarmusch, you will love The Dead Don't Die. But you always have to remember that this is first and foremost a Jim Jarmusch film. I'm looking forward to both of those, but also absolutely excited um, beyond belief to see the final Agnes Varda film, which releases this yeah. month, uh, Varda by Agnes. Yeah. And this is the last film she made before she passed away. So uh, I think, you know, this has got to be one of the annual highlights of cinema that I, I just cannot wait to see this film. It's been great, the, the kind of recognition for Varda in the later years of her life. I mean, she got that. It took a long time. It, it, it took a very, very long time. Um, and I think she was always, she was always recognised by the sort of film cognoscenti, as it were. Yeah. Um, she just didn't have that. She didn't, she didn't break out, you know, or not, not even break out, but she just wasn't brought to sort of wider attention, I don't think. It was only in the past five or so years, it feels like she was really given the due. She was, she was certainly recognised and, you know, brilliantly by Hollywood, you know, and a lot of female directors and, and actors and etc. really rallied around um, supporting her. And just this year at Cannes, um, that brilliant poster uh, that they, they used for this year's Cannes Film Festival, which had Agnes on top, a young Agnes filming, standing on top of a man's back, which again has a, a symbol. And this was spread right over Cannes, over yeah. the cinema, so you, you, you couldn't not be aware of it. And then this feels like a kind of very appropriate, timely culmination of um, her career because it's a, it's it's her reflecting on life, art, film. So yeah, really, really great that um, that's a great film for people to catch this month. But on to Cinema Rediscovered, uh, which is the fourth edition. Something that we work on throughout the year after the first one's finished, we <laughs> yeah. or even before the first one's finished, we're already thinking of um, you know what can we what can we plan for next year and and what what cinema rediscovered allows us to do is um, to put together a festival. So it's a it is a festival. Come for four days if you can, and you'll be seeing films from you know first thing in the morning through to the the, the end of the day, and there'll be films on in, in different screens happening different times. It allows us to bring together um, just the wealth and well a snapshot really of what's happening with new restorations, what's happening with um, archive, what's happening with rarities, but but putting older films, and those older films can just be. Last week's, <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, we're not, we're quite, we're quite, ag- we're quite agnostic. S- <laughs> we're quite <laughs> agnostic about that. All the way from the late eighteen hundreds till it, it, just it, been exactly. And the the, fe- the festival yeah. sort of, co- you know, in a way, the, the range covers that because we've got early Victorian cinema through to you, you, you know retrospective on Nick Roig. But it's a, it's an opportunity for us as programmers, as curators, to to dive a bit deeper uh, into uh, film culture. Uh, and present that over a concentrated period of time where people can can themselves hopefully sort of dive into um, the films that we have have brought together. And so I, I one of the things I've been thinking about programs I've been thinking about for a good few years now, uh, ever since the first cinema we discovered was doing a, a focus on Nick Roig, the great British director Nick Roig, who um, sadly died last year, but. Um, I, I was certainly aware a few years back that his films, whilst being 
kind of appreciated and, and revered by, but not the same, but a bit like Agnes Varda, kind of revered by the filmmakers and by the film community. Not really screened in the cinemas uh, much. You know, people might know Nick Rogue, but they, they hadn't, these films weren't screened, weren't out in cinemas much, uh, if at all, in fact. And we had uh, Jeremy Thomas, the producer, um, with uh, Merry Christmas, Mr Lawrence, the film he produced, and he also produced a couple of Nick Rogue films and was a big friend of Nick Rogue's. And it was through a conversation with him, partly, that he said um, that I, I prompted me to, you know, think more about the retrospective, which we finally got happening um, this year. Um, and I was just so sad that he, he died because... It takes on an added significance, but I was yeah. hoping to do it in his lifetime. But and it, it, so what we're, what we're doing is screening the films um, that he made from performance through to Eureka, um, which I think is just an incredible body of work. Each film, performance, walkabout, man who fell to earth, bad timing, Eureka, uh, made through the decade of the the eighties, really such. Each one is a classic and is a masterpiece and a kind of phenomenal piece of, of filmmaking. Um, so putting those together and now as a tribute to the great creative energy uh, and influence of Nick Rogue. And with um, the re-release as well of Don't Look Now, which has been restored. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And that, that, that happened, I mean, I think as a result of his death, I think people went, oh my God, Nick Rogue, you know? Yeah. Um, and yeah, the the Studio Canal have you know they they've got the rights and they had been working on a restoration, and they've obviously brought that forward and that's been that opens at the beginning of this month, and um, we'll be screening it as part of the festival and you can see it within the context of those of as I say of that period of films, but it's really brilliant that um, as I say his as we've said his films are getting out again um, wider. It's a stunning restoration. I had the joy of seeing it in Paris actually and uh, yeah it's very yeah. beautiful. So well, I mean he, he, the thing is he's such you when you watch the films again and this is of course what Cinema Rediscovered is about is that opportunity to see films again in, in the cinema which I know both you and I agree is the place where it really comes alive again you can watch it in other formats you can you can watch it on your phone you can watch it on the computer you can watch it on the telly but actually when you're sat in the cinema it really comes alive again um the sound the the images and rogue i will argue and i've written about it for the festival rogue understood the language of film i mm. would say much more than any other director than many other directors he, he you know he came up through the in that route from as a runner as a as an assistant to an editor mm. moving through editing moving through um, cinematography he, he worked he, he worked his way through as an apprentice so he understood all the different parts of the the filmmaking process and one of the things that he understood I think which was really really important was editing and what he used to do apparently is as uh, you know much younger was he would he realised quite quite significantly that films could go backwards as well as forwards. <laughs> when you're editing, uh, the image could go backwards, and when you watch some of his films, you realise it's a very simple thing. But um, he he uses that he uses it amazingly in Walkabout where he kind of you, you know reverses the footage. But he he understood editing and he understood cinematography and the opening of Don't Look Now has to be one of the greatest openings of a film ever, mm -hmm. um, where he pulls together 
so many, all the film's themes into uh, what is just an extraordinary feat of filmmaking, which says, you know what, see this filmmaking thing, it's, it is an art form. It can it can it can stand up there if you want to be that snobby. Say, well, is it really an art form? You know, um, and you'd say, well, here's the case for. Don't think about it in that way. Just watch it as a film. But the craft of it, he raises it into something quite exceptional. And that body of work, as I say, between performance and Eureka, in particular, is such a concentrated, distilled, cinematic, to the force, mm. really. Yeah, uh, and another film that really struck me like that, that I'm absolutely thrilled that we're um, having the UK premiere at Cinema Rediscovered before it then goes on to open across the UK. We'll have uh, screenings at the ICA, uh, Glasgow Film Theatre and other venues around home Manchester, other other venues around the UK, is Robert Bresson's and Femme Deuce. And I had the incredible joy of seeing this a couple of years ago at the Cortesan Film Festival in Ghent and just couldn't believe, one, that I'd never seen this film before because it, since its original release, it has never had a re-release and it's never been released in this country on home entertainment, you know, on a kind of DVD or Blu-ray or nothing like that has kind of come out. So it's and, and by such a famous filmmaker as mm. well, which is quite surprising. But it just never really, of all of his films, it was not the one that seemed to, to get out there. And so a lot of people, I think, will be in the position that I was in where you've just never seen this film. And to see it on the big screen, you know, it's a, a new digital restoration. It's very beautiful to look at. It, again, it's incredible filmmaking. I think that Bresson really understands the gaze of the camera um, and where to put that camera and how, how we understand who's looking when we look through his lens. And so th it's, it's very uncomfortable in some ways because actually he takes these sort of these mid angles where we're not seeing the full picture, uh, especially around the start of the film, there's so much that's withheld from us. And so through the way that he shows us, that reveals this image of a, a couple, a very unhappy couple, uh, and this, this young woman who has a very tragic story. But the way in which he reveals it through his cinematography, especially, I just found completely bowled me over. I just was so surprised that there could be such remarkable filmmaking that was just I'd never seen it and no one was showing it um, so we, we we're really pleased with we, you know worked with Park Circus the distributor um, really closely to bring this film back to the big screen it will be the closing night film of cinema rediscovered and then as I said it will go on to play venues all around the country so it is starting to get that opportunity to come back into circulation but I really think people will just be completely amazed that this is not a film that they've seen or even really probably heard of because I think it's because it hasn't had that opportunity to screen um, or, or have a release no, it hasn't been part of the conversation yeah. and it, it is interesting because I it wasn't a film a Bresson film that I was really aware of I, I think I think if most people if they're interested in film uh, will know pickpocket will know Bresson's pickpocket is because yeah. is I mean it influenced um, Paul Schrader Taxi Driver, you know. So if you're if you're interested in film, you'll kind of probably have traced that back in some way in the in the way that people do with Kurosawa and um, Star Wars, and you know you can go back. But obviously, Bresson's made a whole bunch of films, um, and this was his first color film as well. And and it is very surprising that it's not. And it's based on a Dostoevsky it's based on short Dostoevsky. story. I mean, it's yeah. got a lot going for it, considering yeah. it's been so absent. So again. Um, 
this is what we enjoy about cinema rediscovered is is bringing to the surface again, um, bringing to people's attentions these great films. And and, and what what I thought we've talked about, you know, the the great art form film, and um, we've talked about Rogue and the mastery of the sub of of, of the filmmaking process and Bresson. Uh, and and I was just thinking about the Scala and Scala. We're going to be doing some stuff in the Scala. And of course, what we've what we've also got is Larry Cohen. It's alive. We've got Jodorowsky's uh, Santa Sangre. And the, what you what you get a feel for there is that what the Scala was brilliant at the programming of bringing together um, that kind of seen as high art and that very uh, kind of popular or kind of, kind of B-movie, the low-rent type stuff, you know, and those two, those things can sit together quite comfortably. And if you see, if you've seen Peter Strickland's In Fabric uh, this month, opened at the end of last month, but it runs through July, you'll see how those things come together to inform a filmmaker who's now, you know, making, making films today. But yes, we wanted to have a focus on the influence of the Scala programming. As I said earlier on, the legendary cinema, uh, rep cinema, that, that really did bring together the sacred and the profane into the into that um, amazing cinema in King's Cross in London. It was set up by producer Stephen, Stephen Woolley, who initially programmed, but the, the kind of programming stamp was really authoritatively put by Jane Giles, who has done the most amazing book it's beautiful. Absolutely brilliant. But one of the best books. Well, it's just won an award um, this year, but it's one of the great books or, um, or, on film, which, which reproduces the fantastic posters, the monthly posters schedule, which brought together all the, um, the double bills, the all-nighters, uh, etc., which every Londoner, self-respecting Londoner, would have up in their wall and reproduced every single one from the opening of the cinema through to... So you can go through, um, and for me, I can work out which, which films I saw, which films I saw when, because I was fortunate <laughs> enough to have gone to the Scala as a, as a, as a student. But yeah, the, the, the book is a fantastic archive and a fantastic reminder um, and actually a benchmark of of rep programming and what it can be and how, you know, when you bring all these films together, how how that creates a, an idea of film culture, I think, which which is actually very much, very much alive. And I'm, I think Cinema Rediscovered is, is, I would say, partly inspired by that kind of programming. So Jane's going to come down and be talking about the book uh, and also introducing Santa Sangre, which was a staple of the Scala. Um, it's Alive was screened at the, the Scala. I'm sure Bresson was, I'm sure Rogue was. <laughs> well, and actually this is, you know, this ethos is really alive in another focus of the festival, which is the gluttony, decadence and resistance films that do very much bring together low trash cinema um, and, uh, you know, a, I guess a higher culture or a kind of artier cinema of that European influence anyway, to look at um, influences on transgression in society um, and particularly to look at the kind of like disgust that, that, that some filmmakers felt necessary to put into their films, the excess, the kind of gross um, side of society to reveal socio-political situations around them. Um, and very much you could see a lot of this would have screened at the sky. I mean, certainly Society by Brian Usner, yeah, which will be yeah. showing at 20th Century Flicks Videodrome, yeah. um, definitely and, and would Le have Grand, been... Le Grand Booth, yeah, uh, which made by the anarchist Marco, uh, Marco Ferreri, which is, uh, if I remember rightly, is um, the character eats himself to death. 
I mean, there's a lot of gorging um, in these films, in fact. So The Cook, The Thief, His Wife and Her Lover by Peter Greenaway yeah, is going to be showing. That, that may well be the film that um, UK audiences uh, may well remember most as, as Greenaway and the, the Cook, The Thief, The Wife and His Lover, which was... Um, it was a really big hit actually at the time when it was released. Starring Helen Mirren, no yeah, less. Yeah, Helen, yeah, Michael Gambon, yeah. real sort of Shakespearean cast. Um, a real uh, uh, and looking back, made made June Thatcherism and you know greed is good, uh, capitalism's great. You know you, you see like the 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 films from Czech Republic and. That, that are being screened, the, the ways in which film and filmmakers were commenting, as you say, on the, the sort of grotesqueries of the society or the inequities of the society around them. Absolutely, and they might be extremely different political situations, so like you say, from Thatcherism to kind of what was happening in, in the former Czechoslovakia uh, when Vera Chitilova and Esther Krumbakova were working, and so Esther Krumbakova might not be as familiar a name to people, but uh, she only directed the one film, The Murder of Mr. Devil, which we're screening, but she also worked heavily with Vera Chitilova and Jan Niemek, um, and she was a screenwriter and a, and a production designer, so she worked um, on Daisies with, with Vera Chitilova. She also worked with her on Fruit of Paradise, which is the other film that we're showing um, as part of this season. Uh, so you have very different political situations, and some of the films are potentially, I guess, more popular than others. So um, with our trip to the Curzon, the cinema in Clevedon, Curzon Cinema and Arts, which is very historic cinema, been continuously operating in one form or another since like 1912, so one of the longest operating cinemas in the UK. Uh, and we're delighted to be showing Soylent Green there. So, Ch and Charlton Heston really is the one who kind of brought this to the screen by being absolutely fascinated by the book, Make Room, Make Room. Mm -hmm. The story has changed a little from page to screen, but you know, a real classic of what happens in dystopic futures, um, how, what happens when we run out of resources, it's actually all about the environment, it's very prescient to the yeah. conversation we're having today. Um, and I think that's the interesting thing too, is that a lot of these films, even though they're perhaps a little bit older in terms of their own deeply rooted context, is that they actually are really pertinent to the discussions now, which is also why we've included Rachel McLean's film from last year, Make Me Up. Mm. Um, and, and, and I think if you kind of look at the, the films as a whole, you can see that those themes carry all the way through from the you know, sort of 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. And, and a lot of those concerns are really you know, what we're still looking at in society. And film is such a great medium through which to express mm. that. Mm. No, absolutely. And yeah, it's, it's the way in which bringing these older films back to the now, and you see the the you see the the historical context, but also they speak to now and how they speak to now, um, but also what they are like as as films. Um, so a great opportunity to see films that you probably find it very difficult actually to come across, and as we've said before, and we'll always say it again, see it in the cinema space with a bunch of enthusiastic people and. The, the other really interesting thing for me is looking and mentioned the archive films um, and we're going to be showing um, Victorian films from the Victorian era. Brian Dixon from the BFI is coming down. She's going to, and they've come, they've come across these early Victorian short films that were made on a kind of high format film and what you realise, because you, as soon as you say archive and as soon as you say Victorian, you, 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 an image comes to your mind of 
faster paced people that are kind of making you know only if they were shown at the wrong frame well exactly (laughs) but that's exactly it this is the popular image that people have is because they were always shown at the wrong bloody speed um (laughs) but uh, you have an idea of black and white and you have an idea of of what that looks like but actually when you when you think about it these were experiment these were people who were experimenting and innovating with the new technology of the day, which was this ability to make images move. And if you had the resources and if you had the the interest, you'd be getting that technology like people are doing with digital today and different apps or different whatever um, technological development. They're grabbing it, VR, they're grabbing it and saying, right, what can we what can we do with this? What how can we tell can we tell stories with it? Can we do what's it what does it mean to record? And when you think about that then when you think about that moment then, when you, you had that experimentation and excitement, curiosity, all those things about this new technology, it's exactly the same as today. Um, and it, you see, it becomes more alive. That's the thing is that it becomes more alive. And Brian is great at talking about this. But what's really fascinating is um, the, the BFI are working with actually a Bristol company, BDH, and John Durrant, who's, who's the D of BDH, is, is, has been working with the BFI to digitise these Victorian uh, um, short films. And what, what, what he's realised is that you can then, once you've digitised, you can then begin to move around the image. You can begin to put it into VR and you can begin to create um, an interesting dialogue with the, 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 the now with the then. And there's this particular short film which was really wonderful, which was filmed in, in the Grand Canal in Venice by Victorian experimenter of film. Um, and I think, and they filmed it by the food market, food, the vegetable market, and uh, by the Bridge of Size, in fact, Venice. I can imagine this filmmaker thinking, I, I want to demonstrate this, you know, I want to see some film something, there's a lot of movement there. There's, there's these people taking stuff off boats and putting it into the market, so there's movement. Now, where, where will I film? There's all these boats going past. Well, maybe if I put the camera on the boat, you know, and actually what you then get is a tracking shot, you know? Now, they weren't thinking that's a tracking shot. They weren't thinking there's movement. But what you get is this elegant sweep round the canal with all this movement of people taking stuff off. And what John's been able to do is, as I say, digitise that and go into the image in a, in a much deeper way. And what you see is that there's this young boy in this film that was shot in 1890-whatever. There's this young boy who looks straight at the camera and he, he, he obviously sees what's, something's happening and he takes his hat off as though to say hello. So now he's no longer saying hello to the filmmaker in the boat going past. I don't know, maybe somebody waved at I don't know. But he's taking his hat off to us. Well, I mean, he would have been taking, in a way, his hat off to himself, because back then, the highlight of, you know, these things being filmed, particularly uh, all this actuality footage, as it's referred to, um, is that the gimmick really wasn't was that they were filming you and that they would show you yourself so so these people wanted to recognize themselves when they would see the films which would either be probably later that day or the next day if they were going to be shown if they were going to be shown 
they would sort of, yeah. you know, I mean, often the filming was actually the publicity for itself, yeah. like yeah. for its own show later that night or yeah. the same day. And people would want to spot themselves. Um, and quite yeah. commonly as well, there would be competitions and you'd, you know, get a kind of, well, not a, not a pound, but, yeah. you, you know, you might get you might get a coin um, for spotting yourself first on screen, you know, first yeah. three people to spot themselves in the, in the film. So um, quite often in, in early cinema, you'll see people like swinging their hats around. Yeah. Um, taking them off, but uh, you know, also as a mark of respect to the yeah. presumably the filmmaker um, who may or may not have also been on the boat with the camera at yeah. the time. But it, so, so, but it is that thing where you're, you're, you know, with watching this, you're taken straight there, and that person from then is looking straight, straight at us. So that connection between then and now, absolute, and the connection between, you, you know, the discovery of these Victorian films, and then, you know, them being digitised and technologically going from then to now, I think it's really fascinating and it's really then interesting to think, well, where where does this take you in relationship to, you know, those archives, those films? How can archives be represented as well? It must be something that archives are thinking about is, you know, how do we, um, how do we work with new technology to get this material out? You know, how do we make it make it alive? So very, okay, these, will be dis- these will be discussions that will happen during Cinema Rediscovered, as indeed will discussions be about um, Bresson, about Roig, about um, Larry, the, the great, late Larry Cohn, um, one of the great uh, writer-directors, um, B-movie writer-directors in America, who will get that tribute with It's Alive. But we'll be around, as will the other members of the Cinema Rediscovered board, we'll be around for the, the four days and we're happy to discuss um, any parts of the programme. Um, so hopefully you will be able to come and join us for the festival, as well as um, seeing some of the fantastic films that we've got coming up this month.